Well, hello there, everyone. It's the core room, uh, the friends in your ears who talk about beers. Uh, today, just one friend, uh, me, David Griffiths, but I'm shortly going to be joined by Scott from Valhalla to uh, talk about all things Valhallarian. Um, I did want to take a quick little moment, though, to say a big thank you to everyone who has subscribed and rated and reviewed the podcast on the various servers that they downloaded on. That makes a big difference to how we managed to get our message out there. And also to everyone who's been supporting us by getting a monthly subscription pack, which this month contains not only the four Valhalla beers, uh, two of which we'll be talking about today, but the co-conspirators beers that we spoke about in the last episode, eight wrapped up beers, uh, that's what I've been doing today, foiling up some beers for our blind tasting, uh, and that'll be, there'll be a little pack like that in every month. Um, I came to the awful realisation that out of those eight beers, I think only one of them is under 5%. <laughs> Some of them are up closer to 10%. So it's going to be a big afternoon when we get around to tasting some of those together. Uh, and most excitingly of all, uh, in that pack are the beers for our Deschutes online Meet the Brewers, which will be on Saturday, July the 24th at noon. Uh, really, it's the best way, uh, value for money, to get the monthly subscription pack. Uh, but if you just want the Deschutes beers and not the other ones, uh, you can buy them separately in our Shopify shop. Um, in a second, we'll get started with Scott, but yeah, just wanted to say a big thanks to everyone and uh, really looking forward to seeing you all uh, in the Zoom room uh, over the next couple of weeks. Okay, let's take it away with the discussion with Scott. Rightio, I'm joined now by Scott from Valhalla. Scott, welcome to the podcast. G'day, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. It's a, a funny old day because we sit here on the precipice of lockdown five probably yes. by the time we finished recording we might know our fate yes it's a bit scary but a bit sad but anyway we press on that's exactly right and um on the positive note that means that you know i can sit here in the afternoon and enjoy this uh delicious esb the stiff upper lip so perhaps before we um start to tell the the valhalla story yep. why don't you just give us a bit of an insight into the esb and um you know we don't see many of these around no, we don't. Funny enough, uh, if it wasn't for our own, if we didn't have our own venue, our own tap room, I probably wouldn't make it. Um, it's a very hard style to sell wholesale, uh, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, I get asked for it a, a fair bit, particularly in the tap room, and that's why I made it this time around. I thought it was a good winter beer. Uh, we do have people that bemoan the fact that there's not a lot of ESPs on the market, but the problem is you just can't, you can't sell them. They just don't sell wholesale. So, um, so why, yeah, we, why do you reckon that is? Because I, I, look, I don't know. I, I think I think it's mainly because Australians tend to like you know more American style beers, hop driven beers. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a bit of a thing for uh, big big chewy dessert uh, stouts at the moment, but typically you know uh, hop driven um, uh, pale ales and IPAs are what are what have has driven the craft beer market in Australia. So. So what sort of flavours? Uh, the, the sort of more malt-driven style of, of English beers and, and, yep. Oh, yeah, and so you're saying about the malt-driven style. I mean, you know, for perhaps newer craft beer drinkers who might be listening in, yep. you know, what sort of flavours do you get from the malts? You know, which malts have you used? Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the process that gives us this particular beer? 
Yeah, so like I said, obviously it's a, it's it's uh, focusing on the malt. So you probably you you'd probably expect to get sort of toffee caramel character out of it. We use uh, a good amount of biscuit malt in it, so you get a little bit of biscuit character to it. Um, like uh, pretty much all our beers, we exclusively use uh, Voyager malt from from um, up around the Wagga Wagga region. Uh, we we love using their malts, and so it's it's great to showcase their malts in, in this particular beer. Uh, yeah, so you, you get kind of toffee caramel biscuit, um, a little bit of spice and honey from the from the East Kent Goldings hops, um, and um, uh, and then of course with this one we had a bit of English breakfast tea as well. So you get a little bit of tannin at the finish, which is a nice kind of little little addition. And again, you know, it's an interesting because I I didn't realise you did that, but I can absolutely get that little tanniny bit right at the end. Yeah, um, you get them at the side of the tongue, sort of rather than at the back, like with like a bitterness. But you get more side of the tongue, you get those tannins out of the tea. So the tea's not in your face, but it's it's just yeah, it's just there. It's a little a little nod, I guess, to to uh, uh, to you know to the the British style of beer, I guess. Um, are there any sort of particular ESBs that you take your inspiration from? Are there ones, you know, British ones again, you know, for newer listeners who might be going, oh, that sounds interesting. What one should I taste to get a bit of a, a feel for what they're about? I've got to be honest. I, I couldn't say I do. I, this is the first time I've ever made an ESB. So, uh, like I said, I, I probably made it because I had we had regulars that were bemoaning the fact there wasn't one around. So we thought it'd go well on tap there. And, um, yeah, so I, to be honest, I, it's not a style... I even drink a lot, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to give it a crack, and uh, yeah, I, I really wanted to do a more a more malt driven beer. So that's uh, I, I do remember actually quite quite some time ago, quite a few years ago at uh, Bendigo on the Hop Festival. I think uh, Holgate ESB uh, yep. was one that I tried and loved. Um, Holgate Bill Ripper, and I think make it to be honest, but yeah, I think Hargraves Hill do one as well from memory that they might be. Yeah. Hargraves Hill is probably more modern take on it. It's perhaps a more malt-driven pale ale. It's quite fairly hoppy. So it's, yeah, perhaps a more modern take on the ESB. Um, we've probably gone a bit more of a, I don't know if you could call it a traditional style, particularly with the tea in it, but um, very much more malt-focused there it would, be, would be ours. There are a few out there on the market. Um, I know uh, Bell's Beach Brewing and Torquay make, make one. Um, I think Little Bang Brewing in Adelaide make one seasonally as well. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really fun style and, you know, perfect for these kind of, you know, this kind of weather that we're having here Absolutely. in Melbourne at the moment, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. Great time. Great winter beer. You don't want to drink a stout. Um, you know, you don't want to drink a pale ale. It's a right, nice sort of middle ground. Yeah. Now, look, I probably should have asked earlier, you know, we always like our guests to sort of paint a bit of a picture, not so much of the brewery in your case, but, you know, of the tap room and, you know, just to give our international listeners a bit of a feel for, for where you are and, you know, yep. what, the, what the place is like. So we're, so we're based in Geelong, which is sort of Victoria's uh, second city, if you like. It's about an hour down the road from Melbourne, um, about an hour and a quarter from the Melbourne CBD. Uh, Bayside, really, uh, really nice town with a bit of an industrial history, but... Um, uh, but but kind of reinventing itself, uh, you know, as Australia's manufacturing industry sort of dies a slow death. But um, uh, so becoming. I, I feel like all of our listeners are going to be between the COVID and the. That <laughs> Sorry, we uh, we might need to pick up the tone. And yeah, that's right. But, but uh, no, it's a, a real lifestyle town now. You know, it's it's a great it's a great regional city. We're located right in the CBD in a little laneway called Union Street. It's got a real Melbourne vibe to it. The street, sort of um, street art on the wall. 
Um, and yeah, ours is, our tap room's a tiny little tap room. Um, we sort of, you know, 30 to 50 people we might fit in there, be a bit of a squeeze, but um, yeah, we're focused uh, on great beers. We've got 10 taps, probably any time between six and eight of those would be our beers and the rest would be uh, guest, guest taps. Um, we play vinyl, uh, a couple of turntables there. We, we're really heavily focused on music. We have live music on a Friday night uh, and we, uh, we are regular DJs. We have a metal night. In fact, tonight we've got a... So, you know, we... we yeah, you, 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 broke, music, really, you, you broke up for a minute there, brother. I didn't hear what, what, what have you got on tonight, a metal night? No, tonight's actually our punk night. Ah, righto, yep. So we have a metal night on the first Thursday of the month and punk night on the third Thursday of the month. So we have DJs, spin and vinyl. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good fun. And what have you got on tap down in the tap room at the moment? Uh, so typically we'll have our draft, our colch. Uh, we'll have our gold nail, we'll have our pale. Um, and then we'll have our lime cheesecake sour. And then we kind of have seasonal stuff from there. So at the moment we've got Aragon, our West Coast IPA, Obsidian, our Black Ale, uh, I think we've got the stiff upper lip on at the moment. Um, and we've also got um, Ziggy, our red IPA, which is just freshly kegged last week. And I think that one's in our tasting pack as well for people who've, uh, who've had the pack delivered. So Yeah, yep. and then we've got a couple of guest taps off the top of my head. We've got uh, a big sour from, uh, from Rebel Brewing, I think, a, a 7.5% berry sour. Oh, yeah. Yep. And the other one, oh, geez, I can't even think off the top of my head now. <laughs> I'm I, I've got to say, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how you've done managing to just rattle all of those ones off off the top of your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think we've got eight of ours and, and, and two of, two rotating at the moment. But quite often we've only got six of our own and, and four rotating. So uh, so there's always a good choice. And we've got, we'd have 150 beers, different beers in the fridge. So um, pretty much all Australian independent craft beer. But uh, there's just such a broad range of beers now compared to even 10 years ago, what you can stop, isn't it? It's quite amazing. I was up at um, the Hop Temple in Ballarat on the weekend and, you know, they sort of said, oh, you know, we've got 200 beers in the fridge or something like that. And that they did, but it was probably only from about 10 breweries or, you know, 15 breweries. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, ours are all from out the portfolio of our distribution business. Uh, we do have a, a few from outside of that if we're looking for something particular that, that we don't have or, or and or particularly our farmhouse sort of wild ales, um, which we don't particularly have on our portfolio. So we get a few of those in from breweries like Dollar Bill Brewing and, and Black Arts and so on, Wildflower. Um, so which came first, the distribution business or the, the brewing side of things? And, uh, the brewing you know, came first. Yep, so the brewing definitely came first. We started Bellhuller about five, a bit over five years ago now. Um, and Lotus, the distribution business, sort of came about as a, as a way of supporting Valhalla. I think um, it was more, you know, we only had a small number of Valhalla beers that start off with one and then two and um, crept up from there. So it was a lot of work trying to sell them a couple of, couple of sort of 6% plus beers. So I think it just grew from, you know, being better off with the, with a a large number of, of beers to, to sell and, and particularly being based down in Geelong and, and Torquay initially, um, you know, it's a long way to drive into Melbourne if you're delivering, you know, a couple of cases of beer. So I guess it's about trying to fill the van up and, uh, and provide a broader appeal to a broader audience to, to, to build, you know, 
uh, Valhalla on the back of. Yeah, but how did you how did you get the start with the brewery? You know, you know, was this a a dream you've had since you were a you know eight year old boy and always <laughs> dreamed of uh, no, being a brewer? No, I've been homebrewing since uh, I was since around my early twenties, uh, since I was in uni. Um, and so a couple of years ago then. What's that? A couple of years ago then. Yeah, I don't know, quite a few more than a couple of years ago, but. Uh, Typical story, I guess, is brewing uh, brewing beer because it was cheap and and uh, you know had no money as a uni student, so the beer was pretty horrible and uh, you know getting <laughs> kilo or getting a couple of kilos of sugar to, to pump up the, the ABV and it tasted pretty horrible. But look, it was a bit of fun and over the years took it a bit more seriously and a bit more seriously and um, and probably I don't know eight years ago or so, I suppose I got involved in a uh, in a beer club. Uh, out, run out of Odyssey Tavern, um, which is probably Geelong's first like um, craft beer dedicated venue. Yeah, right. I don't think I know that. No, it's not around. Well, it's it's renamed. It's not really. I'm not sure. I haven't been in there, but I'm not sure if it's so craft beer dedicated anymore. But back in the day, it was probably a bit of ahead of its time for Geelong. And there was a group of, of guys doing. Uh, some most were home brewers and a couple of homebrew comps and. Uh, started getting a bit more serious from that, you know, and talking to other homebrewers and entering comps and winning those and thinking, well, oh, this might be something uh, something I can do uh, a little more of a commercial level, I guess. And, um, you know, so tell our listeners, you know, they'd love to sort of, you know, so many people who just like you who are homebrewers or craft beer aficionados, but surely making that jump to actually starting the business must be a must be a few scary moments along the way there oh, yeah look there's always scary moments starting a new business um but i think i mean for me maybe my my, my situation is a little bit difficult uh, different to perhaps to some to many others where I, I had a background in small business you know i've sort of been in business for myself for 20 years on like in different businesses and different industries so i think for me the the actual starting business side of it wasn't as scary as it might be for some. Probably for me, it was more, you know, a confidence in myself to pr- produce beer that was good enough to, you know, stack up commercially, you know. Um, that, that was probably the, the scariest bit for me, being able to back myself to create beer that I would be proud of to put into the marketplace. And so what were the sort of, were there beers that sort of came over from your days as a home brewer that you sort of... Yeah, for sure. Well, Obsidian was the main one. Um, yeah, it's that... was, you know, the, the one that we just won Best Out or Porter at the uh, AIBA Awards, and that was a homebrew recipe, you know. So, and that recipe pretty much hasn't changed since since those days. Um, Aragon, our, our West Coast IPA was the other one. That was the second one we did commercially, and that was a homebrew recipe, although that has evolved over the years uh, for, for a number of reasons. Hop availability has been one. Um, yeah, that's a pretty common story these days, isn't it? Yeah, well, it was it, the Hero Hop in that used to be a hop called Summer, which uh, is Australian hop that's been discontinued. So, you know, that that, that was played a pretty significant part in that beer. So you kind of got to just uh, roll with the punches with it when that happens. And, um, you know, often... A hop, say an Australian hop, say for example, Ella, which plays a big part in our Golden Ale and our Kolsch. You know, nobody was using Ella three years ago. All of a yep. sudden, the Americans discover it, and and you can't get it anymore. So, yeah, it's definitely an ongoing challenge. And um, it's fascinating to sort of hear that those sort of you know those beers have maintained because we speak to a number of brewers who 
just find that some of their homebrew recipes just don't work at scale once they start to, you know, in, increase the volume that they're producing. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, yeah, that's definitely a challenge too. It's always a scary thing going from your pilot, your 30-litre pilot kit up to uh, up to 1,000 or 2,000 litres, um, taking that leap. But I think uh, I think in time you sort of get get to know what works and doesn't work. Um, we started off, we started off brewing out of Red Duck in Ballarat on, on a sort of five, 600 litre system. So it was a nice transition. Um, and now we're brewing out of, uh, all our beers are brewed out of Cockies uh, Brewing in South Geelong um, on a 12 heck system. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's decent size, but you kind of get a feel for it, I think. Um, what's going to work and what's not going to work as far as percentages of malts and, and hops and so on um, based on what you've already done. You know, it might be a completely different recipe, but you're still going to get the idea of how things work together as far as ratio of, of hops and malt and so on. Well, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you, particularly as a, as a gypsy brewer, and we know that you um, that was one of the awards you picked up the other day at the uh, awards, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. We, uh, we won champion gypsy brewer um, at the IOBA awards, which was, which was pretty exciting. Oh, it's a fantastic effort. Um, but I guess that was sort of my question was, you know, over and above the average sort of, uh, you know, brewery where they can do a couple of tests and so forth, the pressure, I guess, is really on you to um, to make sure that they, they work when you go in there and work on the big kit. Yeah, absolutely. Because not only are you paying for ingredients, you're paying the brewery to use their space. So uh, you stuff it up and, you, and you, you're blowing a fair bit of money. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and losing a spot, a brew spot too, you know, that's another challenge. You, you only get so many brew spots. Um, you can't just fire it up again the next day and, and redo it. So, yeah, look, Gypsy Brewing definitely has uh, its, its unique challenges. Um, uh, and, and, look, if, if, you know, our preference is definitely to have our, our own stainless one day, but um, the right opportunity and situation just hasn't come up yet. So, um uh, and 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 the, the setup we've got with with cockies is a really good. It's it's a you know it's it's good for us. Um, we do have we basically at least two fermenters there, and so we, we get the run of the place to you know to that extent. So. Um, and do you think there are other advantages to being a gypsy brewer? You know, is there you know? Uh, I think there's advantage to starting off as a gypsy brewer. I'm not sure that. I think there might be a little bit of. Uh, I don't know if I'll get in trouble using this word, but a bit of snobbery in the industry towards gypsy brewers because I think um, some may think that we don't have enough skin in the game. Yep. Uh, you know, we're just using, we're dipping our toe in the water and perhaps that's true initially. I mean, we've got plenty of skin in the game with the with everything we've put into this business and um, so there's there's no issues there. But um, it, it gives you, I think it gives you an opportunity, one, to, wow, see whether or not this is really an industry you want to be involved in long-term and invest a lot of time, money and effort into. But, but more importantly for me, it gave me an opportunity to work with a whole range of different brewers and breweries. Um, it's almost like, I guess, doing an apprenticeship that I, that I pay for yep. <laughs> rather yep. than being paid for. You know what I mean? So um, it, for me, it's been great. You know, we work some, with some fantastic brewers. I've learned a lot along the way. Um, but I've managed to do it, yeah, with a whole range of brewers and and and, and brewery kits. So I think that's probably the the, the main advantage of starting off that way. And um, 
I guess you know you've when the day comes that you can actually finally pull the trigger on building your own, you've you've probably got a much clearer idea. You've seen right. and learned from other people's mistakes. You yeah, know? absolutely. And- yep. Um, yeah, for sure. We've got a pretty good idea what works and what doesn't work, and, uh, and and for our beers as well as as much as in general. You know, like I think every brewer has a has a, a style that they focus on, and not every brewery kit works for that style. So. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. Got to get a very clear picture of the kind of setup you want, uh, which is great. It means it means you can make the mistakes before you you, you spend hundreds <laughs> of thousands of dollars on setting up the brewery. That's they're not cheap things to run, are they? <laughs> no, and they're not cheap things to re, redesign. So once you once you put it together, it's a lot harder to to reconfigure it um, than it is before you put it together. Yeah, this is this is true. We could name any number of places that have gone through that process in the last little bit as they've as they've grown, which is a fantastic problem to have, I guess. But yeah, it's right. uh, as I used to say about other venues that I've run, a fantastic problem to have is still a problem at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think for us too, we, we I like the idea. You know, I like I like the idea of building a, a market before we jump in, like building our own kind of uh, demand for our products, um, and particularly through our own venues. And that's I think why we ended up going down the, the path of, um, of creating our own venue. And look, we, we would love to create another one or two small tap rooms like we've got in other areas. Um, yeah, right. So, you know, you're creating your own market, I guess, in a, in a way, and, and you know that you've got that demand for volume um, before you build it. So I think that's, I, I, I'm, I, I like that, that uh, approach uh, uh, towards building a brewing business so um so i think it works for us you know now you mentioned there as we were passing and i was i was going to have this one while we spoke but I've, I've still got the esp in my glass at the moment but the obsidian is another one that we've got in our pack today um can you tell us a little bit about the story of, of that one and how it's made and i guess you know again for perhaps newer brew uh, newer craft beer drinkers they may not be as familiar with this style as they might be with things like ipas and so forth so it'd be great just to get a bit of an idea about the flavors they should be tasting when they taste it and how you get those flavors into the glass yeah so obsidian as i mentioned was uh probably it was the first one we did commercially so it was an old home home brew recipe i just fell in love with the black ipa style um because i love dark beers and i love ipas i love hoppy beers so for me it was the perfect marriage of the two Having said that, Obsidian is is not really a black IPA. And when we won Best Stout of Porter and uh, Champion Stout of Porter at the IIBA Awards with that beer, it was it was in the um, American Stout category because I knew that it doesn't really fit the the black IPA. So Obsidian is more probably malt driven. You get a lot more of that roasty chocolate coffee malt than you would in a typical black IPA. So it does drink very much like a hoppy stout. Um, so you get that, like I said, you get that really nice roasty stout character and um, with some quite strong um, coffee chocolate. Uh, but then it follows through with a, ni- a nice sort of smooth citrus character from the hops, which kind of smooths the whole thing out. So it makes it a very, very drinkable beer, particularly for a 6.8 percenter. Um, so yeah, so that, that that's the concept behind the beer. Um, and uh, yeah, look, it was, it was it's a, you know, we're pretty proud of that being our first beer and, and sort of really start off the journey of Valhalla. 
Absolutely. What does it What does it mean for the business and the brewery to pick up an award like that? You know. Um, I look, I, I think it gives us a bit of street cred. To be honest, um, probably more, you know, perhaps in the industry, but but to to people who haven't heard of us, it's a good it's a good line to sort of throw out there when you're talking to somebody who's never heard of Valhalla Brewing. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I was I was down in Tassie last a uh, couple of weeks ago with a bit of a. a, a bit of an old schoolmates trip and um, we're at a, a fantastic little crafty bar there called in Hobart called Preachers and I just sort of mentioned that I own Valhalla Brewing and they hadn't never heard of it but then you mentioned you just won best out or porter in, in Australia or, or best gypsy brew and all of a sudden you're not just some crazy dude that's telling them you own a brewery you know <laughs> you've got some credibility but look, we've always known that we make great beers our customers tell us that you know our customers at the, at the tap room tell us and then and these guys who are some pretty serious craft beer drinkers, you know, and drink a lot of it and a broad range of it. So we know they're not just blowing smoke up our ass. They actually genuinely love our beers. So so I think, um, you know, we've kind of always known that we're doing something right. But but to get a bit of broader industry um, recognition, I think, is is a nice little pat on the back. And, um, yeah, it gives a bit of confidence to, to sort of keep going and doing what you're doing. Well, you've, uh, you've you've read the script here pretty well in terms of things that we were going to discuss because you you're talking there about what you hear from your customers at the tap room and yeah. we, it's always fascinating to talk to to brewers who do have tap rooms and yep. you know most of them say it's a fantastic sort of asset to have in terms of yeah. getting feedback on beers that you've made but also exactly what you've said about the ESB you know yeah. people pushing you to make things that perhaps wouldn't have been automatically in your head. Oh, absolutely. And Ziggy's another favourite. You know, we did the, there's the red IPA that we've just released again. That's a seasonal beer. People always look forward to that. It's probably it won't be our biggest seller in the wholesale market, but in, in the tap room, it's just so popular, you know. Um, but look, the tap room's great. It really does give us some great feedback. It's, it, you know, our regulars there become our family and um, uh, it, it allows us to sort of present our beers in the, in the environment and, and the manner that we really want them to be presented. Um, um, yeah, and it's just become such an important part of our story and what we do, you know, and, and like I said, our customers just love the place and our regulars love the place and it's become, you know, it's become kind of family, I suppose, um, along with our staff. And uh, we've got a couple of, you know, great bar staff um, that uh, really make it a great experience for our customers as well. How much time do you actually spend in in there these days? Is it one of those things that you oh, got to try and let run by itself, or? Yeah, we've got a great bar manager, Dylan, uh, who does a great job. So he's there majority of the time. Lockie is our uh, he does a couple of shifts and is um, stepping into a sales rep role at the moment. So um, I, I'm I work there on a Friday afternoon as a sort of regular shift, and then I just pop in and out. Um, so you know the. The first six months I was working there every day, every night. And um, yeah, so I work up there a lot less than I used to, but um, I was, you know, I'm still there, I pop in and have a couple of beers on my way home as often as I, I can. So I'm probably in there three or four days a week. No, and Fridays is the day to catch you if, you, uh, if you're yeah, interested right. in wanting to, to grab Scott for a chat about these things one-on-one -on -one sometime. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Fridays are my regular, Friday afternoons are my regular shift at the moment. Um, where else around Geelong do you... Do you go as you're sort of saying it's a it's a place we were down there 
last school holidays, so about three months ago. Yep. Um, it's it's changed a lot from when I first used to go down there in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah. Well, it has. I mean, uh, I think I, I grew up in Bendigo, and I think uh, Geelong was the sort of place you only went to if you wanted to get. You had to drive through it to get to the beach, you know. Before yeah, as a, as a fellow Bendigo boy, I think there were people who would have said that about Bendigo as well, except it wasn't entirely <laughs> clear where you would no have been one, driving to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's nowhere to drive to the Bendigo, so you didn't actually go there. But um, yeah, uh, um, but you know, it's a great, it's, it's a great city. We've been in the area for twelve years now, and, and you know, I love the place. And um, there is, it is definitely coming along as far as you know, craft beer scene goes. Um, it, it, there's a lot of uh, pint and palm type pubs, and there's a lot of con- tap contracts in Geelong still. You know, either Lion Nathan or, or CUB, but. Um, you're starting to see more and more taps open up to, to independent and or local uh, breweries. Of course, we've got a great brewing scene here. You know, I mentioned uh, Coggies. They don't open to the public at the moment, but, um, uh, you know, Bells Beach Brewing down in Torquay, but they've got a little tap room in Geelong too now. Um, Blackman's, of course. Um, I haven't been to their new brewery and tap room in, in Grovedale, but... Um, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. We were there on one of the opening nights and... Um... Yeah. I imagine yeah. so. They don't. They they don't do anything wrong, really. Um, Ram and Jess, uh, Blackman, and um, and the Torquay ones, our local. So you know, spent a lot of time down there. So, um, so yeah. So there's a couple. There's a couple little places. Um, you know, places like Hot Chicken Project, um, Box Office Cafe over at um, Geelong West, who who do support local and independent beer. Um, good places to hang out. So. And yeah, like I said, we're starting to see taps pop up here and there, open up here and there to, to local and indie beer. So it's happening, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit um, behind where a, t- a town the size of Geelong might expect to be, but, um, but it's definitely, definitely happening. People are starting to appreciate the value of, of good quality and local beer. Do you get back up to Bendigo much? And is there a couple of spots up there that you tend to go? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so always pop in and see Scotty up at Hop Supply Co in Bendigo. Um, you know, you've got places like uh, Flight and, uh, and Hustler, uh, a few other places up there. So I was born and bred Bendigo, so we, we still got family. Um, both my wife and I, I and my mums live there. Um, siblings live there, friends live there. So, yeah, we're, we're up there quite regularly, yeah. Much the same. And, and the fact that South Bendigo are playing good footy and they're in the you know, in the top five at the moment is a good excuse to go up and watch some country footy as well. So. Oh, not only a Benigo boy, a South Benigo boy. That's good to hear. I've played a couple of years of junior footy at South Benigo, so I've always been a been a fan of the Bloods. Yes, they're um they're looking pretty good this season. Oh, good. It's, they've been a bit down for a while, haven't they? Yeah, they, they have. But we're not here to talk. We're not here to talk <laughs> regional footy much as we love to. Uh, you and I might well, you know, meet up there for a couple of years one day. Um, Absolutely. One of the things that we we really like to talk about here on the podcast is about packaging and how people present their beers. And you've got a really distinctive style that, you know, I think people could pick out pretty easily in a, in a fridge from 10 meters away, which is a compliment. It's a good thing. Um, How do you, how do you sort of go about that? Do you do the designs yourself? Do you get other people in? How does it, how does it all work? Uh, So I do the designs myself. I I was a graphic designer for 15 years before I, um, yeah. So um, it's my way of keeping my hand in it, I suppose. It's probably not something that's going to be sustainable forever, but it's definitely saved me a bit of money over, over the last few years, which is good. <laughs> yeah. 
But, you know, I, I had fun with it. Um, I have had, um, for example, the um, the ESB, the stiff upper lip. We had a, a illustrator uh, do the design for that, the illustration for that. Um, I'm not an illustrator, so I often pay for, for illustrations to and then build the label around that. So, um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I, it gives me a, a bit of a creative outlet, um, which, which is good. Now, you know, I was going to, you probably know Clint Weaver from your travels through the world. And, um, I do, yep, I yeah. So uh, I was going to get him on to co-host with me today, but I put up a thing on our Facebook asking for questions and he, he came back with a series of questions which were, quite frankly, incomprehensible about design <laughs> things. And so, well, uh, Clint, if you're listening, it was, it was those questions that made me decide not to get you on. So he wanted, amongst other things, to know, you know, whether the uh, the little chappy on your logo, whether the the hat keeps him warm and um, a range of other bits and pieces along those lines. But I don't, I don't know that it keeps him warm, but uh, it is a bit, it, it is a bit of a stretch, uh, as uh, as I think it's pretty commonly now known now. The Vikings didn't actually have horns on their helmets, but uh, but uh, don't let the truth get in the way of good story or, or good logo, I guess. <laughs> It's recognisable what we what we're sort of getting at, and now I can say I've asked that question. So you know, you're ignoring your 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 punters. That's that's exactly right. Does he have a name? Was the other question that they had? No, actually, he doesn't. No, maybe perhaps we should consider that. Right, I've now ticked those boxes. Thanks, thanks, Clint. We look forward to having you on again soon, brother. Do you have a favourite label out of all of those? Sort of. Ah, uh, look, like all of it, it probably goes back to Obsidian. I mean, it's 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 a very simple label, but um, again, being our, our firstborn and favourite, as we call it, um, really love the simplicity of that design. I've actually got that design tattooed on my arm, so I must love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but look, I love them. Look, the, the the Ziggy, you know, it's just a really nice, fun, vibrant label. Again, quite simple, but but really, you know punches you in the eye when you see it on the shelf or um and then probably line bucket line bucket has a bit of a personal um touch to it it was dedicated to a friend of ours who passed away a few years ago and um uh who was actually uh the mate who got me into homebrewing in the first place so he yeah, was right. and uh bought me out my first homebrew kit so uh so yeah liam passed away a few years ago and it was a huge influence so so, you know, that's obviously got a personal meaning as well. Absolutely. Now, we always sort of finish off with our traditional cool room question, but but before that, we've got a mutual friend in um, Ryan uh, Laracy, and it seemed like a, an, an opportune moment to to ask before we hear about, you know, an embarrassing or confronting thing that might have you might have found in a cool room over the years. Have you got a good Ryan story that you can share just while oh, he's not here to defend himself? I've probably got a few good Ryan stories, but I'm not sure I could share them, to be honest. I might, <laughs> I'm getting in a bit of trouble. But look, Ryan's a character. I love Ryan. He's, he's, uh, he was our first sales rep and, and before and um, before he was at Experience It. And uh, what is interesting, I was listening to uh, the podcast you had with him a, a little while ago, um, just sort of preparing for, for talking to you today. And... I notice he's still talking about the Smith Street barbers. So, uh, so not, there's certain things that haven't changed with Ryan, obviously, because he used to uh, he used to be a bit of a fan of them back then as well. So, well, uh, we are big Ryan fans here in the cool room. But um, despite the fact that you won't dish the dirt, I'll put out on social media that you have 
just to <laughs> just to get him a bit worried about what it is yeah. that he might um that he yeah. might have to endure. Any dirt audition him, I'll probably end up uh, uh, making myself look guilty by association. So. <laughs> Well, that does bring us then to our to our last question, which is our traditional cool room question, and um, you know it's about uh, revealing a little bit behind the scenes for people who love going to hospo venues, but perhaps don't know what it's like out the back. You know, it can be a, a story where you've seen something strange in a cool room, or uh, something disastrous happening in a in a brewery. It doesn't have to be your own. Don't worry, you're not being asked to incriminate yourself. But has there ever been a time you've walked into a cool room and, and found something a bit odd or confronting? Uh, it's funny. I've been thinking about this question because you just sent some questions ahead for me to sort of get my head around. I, we, we do have a quite a decent-sized cool room here. Obviously, we run a distribution business out of Geelong and we, have a, we, we store all the beers here in our own cool room. Uh, it was pretty confronting, actually, when I walked in yesterday and I could barely get in the door because it was so chock-a-block. Uh, <laughs> COVID has slowed sales down a, a little bit, so, so we've got too much beer. But just thinking now, actually, it's not quite a cool room story, but, it, but it's related. We have, a, we have a like in our bar, it's not quite a cool room. It's more a, a sort of a temperate room where we <laughs> store our kegs and run our, uh, uh, our keg lines out of. And one day, it was actually Gabs, it might have been three years ago. No, no, it would have been two years ago, I guess. Uh, we were at Gabs. We had a store there for, for, for Lotus. And um, I came back on a Saturday. I wasn't planning to, but I had to pick up some beers. And I stopped by the bar. I don't even know why. I just thought I would. And I walked past and, and I went up to the door and the, all the windows were fogged up. And I thought, oh, Emma must have left the, the heater on last night. Anyway, I opened the door and all this water started running out and down the footpath. And uh, I'd left one of the, 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 the tap on from when you clean, clean the lines <laughs> and one of the hoses burst overnight and uh, there was about three inches of water through the whole place. Oh, so, tell me you haven't got a wooden floor. Uh, we, we had, we had uh, timber laminate floor, so that all had to get replaced. <laughs> uh, luckily oh, brother. Students, but um, it's never quite been the same, to be honest. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if that's amusing, but... Um, no, well, that's that's exactly the kind of, of story we we like to share, so that all those people out there who are going, gee, it'd be fun to own a bar, get a little bit of an insight into um, what it's actually like to own a bar. Yeah, mate. Look, thank you for your time today. It's been a, a fantastic chat. If people want to find out more, can you give us both the physical address again of where we can find you, and also your social media addresses, so that people can can follow you. So uh, the tap room is located at 12 to 14 Union Street in Geelong in the CBD. Uh, tab, social tags uh, at Valhalla Brew. Uh, you, you chose a, in a very inopportune moment just to lag there. You, you chose an inopportune oh, moment to lag. Uh, yeah, cool. So um, if you just search Valhalla Brewing and Tap Room uh, on Facebook or uh, at Valhalla Brew is the handle at, uh, at um, Instagram. So that's how you find us. Fantastic. And, fr- and Friday night is the night to go in and catch Scott in person if you're, uh, if you're trying to do that or you'll find him up at the QEO watching the Mighty Bloods, you know, bring home another win over the evil Sandhurst people. <laughs> evil <Slag heads. laughs>
<laughs> thank you very much uh, for your time today, mate. And um, thank you to all of the listeners who are tuning in. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast and follow The Call Room on your social media as well. And um, we'll look forward to having you all in the Zoom room. Uh, I'm unfortunately hearing as we record that we are going to go into a three or five day lockdown. So um, the, the very thin silver lining on that is good excuse to jump online into the Zoom room and have a, have a chat with all of your fellow cool room friends over the next week or two. Bye for now.